out of writing a book about three people trying desperately to find purpose, <laughs> I now have solidified my own purpose. So I have the, those characters to thank for that. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. Today, I'm talking to Erica Carter. Erica is the author of Lucky You, an NPR Best Book of 2017 and Book of the Month Club selection. Carter is a graduate of the MFA Creative Writing Program at the University of Arkansas, where she was a Walton Fellow in Fiction and taught creative writing. Her short fiction has been published in the Colorado Review, South Carolina Review, New Ohio Review, New Delta Review, Deep South Magazine, Meridian, and Cutbank, among other publications. She is at work on her second novel and lives in Richmond, Virginia. Lucky You is a novel that follows three young women, Ellie, Rachel, and Chloe, from their jobs at a bar in their college town of Fayetteville, Arkansas, to a remote house in the Ozark Mountains where they plan to live off-grid for one year with Rachel's boyfriend. All of them are desperately chasing elusive health, happiness, and purpose, trying to figure out who they are and what they should be doing with their lives as they struggle with alcohol, sex, relationships, and mental health. Lucky You portrays the desperate loneliness and confusion of early adulthood with painful accuracy and deep empathy. Erica was one of the first people I thought of wanting to have on the podcast when I was still just in the planning phase of dreaming about what the show might be. Um, I read Lucky You two, two years ago, and I loved it, and I thought that's exactly the type of person I would love to have a conversation with for a podcast. Um, but I just thought, as I explained to her in this episode, that she was really cool and like so accomplished as a writer. There's no way that she would want to be on my podcast, but I'm really glad that I ended up inviting her because so quickly into our conversation, I just practically forgot we were recording and I just felt like I was talking to a friend, um, but a friend who's really smart and thoughtful and funny and down to earth and has written this beautiful, amazing novel that I love so much. So I hope you have the same feeling when you listen that we're all just friends sitting around the kitchen table um, talking about life and love and all these things. Um, I loved this conversation. I hope you do too. Enjoy. Erica, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me and inviting me. So I, I first read Lucky You. It was just about two years ago. I think it was February of 2017 that I got like an advanced copy so that I could interview you for the Rumpus for their mini interview project. And um, it's always stuck in my mind. And I, to be honest, I haven't been reading a lot of contemporary novels. Um, I, I majored in English, so I like was reading a ton of literature in college and just got into the habit of reading nonfiction because I was like, I couldn't read any more novels. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but when I read this, I was like, oh my gosh, I've never read a novel that takes young women in their early 20s seriously in like a way that feels, it's like, it's not overwrought at all, but it's not dismissive of their experience either. Um, so it just like feels so authentic to me. Um, so thank you for writing it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for saying that. Did you feel like you had, um, I don't know, did you feel like you were writing something that was kind of different from a lot of the books that you were seeing or that you had read or how, you know, young women in particular are treated in fiction or 
or am I just kind of like missing a whole uh, slew of novels that I should I should be reading? <laughs> um, no, I well, so um, I've always liked books about young women. I mean, I I loved um, Mary Gateskill's Bad Behavior, for example, and um, I I don't know, I didn't have a lot of um, like thought going into it I just started writing I knew it was good I thought it was um, going to be different because like a lot of the books that I like about young women um, take place like in big cities in New York especially and so I thought well I'll just come at it from like an Arkansas angle and just try to be like as real as possible Um, so that's what I did and you went to college in Arkansas, right? Right. I got my MFA in creative writing from the University of Arkansas. So I lived there for about five years. Okay. Where, in were, you, where were you from originally? I'm from Richmond, Virginia, and I live in Richmond, Virginia currently. You didn't go to undergrad in Arkansas. You just went to grad school there. Right. So I moved there when I was 22. Um, I went to a really small um, school, liberal arts school in Virginia for my undergrad. What was it like moving to Arkansas? Did you feel like there was a big cultural shift or, um, yeah, was it different from what you were used to? Um, Well, when I got there, I thought it was like a big city. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been used to living in this kind of town and um it's Lynchburg Virginia I mean no no offense to anyone from there but um (laughs) it it was so lacking in culture and I was just so ready to like go away somewhere so the town of Fayetteville is really small and there's really not a whole lot going on but to me I was like oh my gosh like this is life (laughs) (laughs) um and I was just like really happy to be on my own. I mean, I come from a really close family, so it was um, a a pretty big decision um, to leave. And, um, but I was just so like, I felt so free and happy. I also like had just gotten out of a relationship when I moved. And so I just felt like it felt like anything could happen, Mm -hmm. like it's possible. What did draw you there? Um, well, I just applied to, um, a bunch of programs and I got into about half of them and I knew I wanted to just go far away and, um, Arkansas has a really good program and, um, uh, they offered a good deal where, um, I could teach there, which I did for four years. And also, I mean, it's, I, there, it's a really good program. They only accept, um, 10 fiction writers and 10 poets every year. So it was, um, and I I knew that everyone else was coming from everywhere. So um, I knew I'd sort of have this like built-in family there. Mm. It's kind of interesting how like the characters in, in the novel are kind of stuck in that town. Um, And you were like finding this new freedom and everything in that town. (laughs) Um. That's true. Although I didn't start <laughs> writing the book until I was feeling very much over <laughs> yeah. and very stuck and very tired. So by the time like, I started it, like I think my last year living there and it was, yeah, I mean, 
once you're ready to leave somewhere and you're checked out, it's like, um, and you, you can't really leave yet. It's, it's, you know, that feeling like really sinks in Mm. (laughs) being stuck. So what did your life look like when you began writing the book? Were you still in graduate school? Were you teaching or? So I think I, yeah, I had just graduated. My thesis was a book of stories called Girls Who Live Alone. And um, so I'd been working on stories the whole time I was in school. And then um, then actually in the first chapter of Lucky You started out as one of these stories. And um, I just decided to keep going with it. Mm. And so I was adjuncting, I was teaching at like uh, two different community colleges and the University of Arkansas and like trying to, you know, string money together that way. Um, and I was living alone in, in a, like a really small apartment. Um, and I was just like, I didn't know what, what's, what I was doing with my life. Like I was moving back if I was going to try to like stay in Arkansas. Um, I felt like if everything was very much up in the air, which is why like Maybe I wrote so much then because it was like writing was a way to actually like avoid having to make decisions in my own life. Mm. Did you like teaching? Did you feel like, okay, I could like make a living teaching and then also pursuing writing or were you kind of like, what do I do with, what do I do now? Like I have my degree, but what now? Yeah. You know, I don't like teaching <laughs> That's <laughs> in, fine. in academia, at yeah. least. Yeah. Um, well, and I should qualify that with, so I'm actually teaching a novel writing class right now, which I love. Um, and the difference is this is for a, like at an arts center. Um, it's visual arts center of Richmond, which is a really great place. And, and these are adults who have just paid to be in the class and I don't give grades and we have the best time. We meet once a week on Wednesdays, and it's a year-long class. So the idea is that they'll have a novel at the end of mm. the – yeah, so I'm loving that. The problem, um, I think, when I was adjuncting is, you know, I was teaching, like, basic composition courses and then, like, just all the bureaucracy of, like, academia. I hated giving grades. Yeah. I hated that, like – I, I hated feeling judged by like everyone, like administration, like mm-hmm. students, and I'm doing something that I'm teaching like commas, you know, like it's, it was not, um, I didn't find it very rewarding, but I'm really glad that I am teaching this novel writing class now because I love the subject matter, obviously. Um, and I just love like the sort of freedom to, I just got to create my own class and um, it's just like I feel like I could do it this way <laughs> like on my own terms but yeah. not I don't think I could ever go back to college though teaching that sounds like a really rich experience to actually have a full year together and to be with people who like really really want to be there because the other thing about those composition courses is that a lot of those students don't want to be there right right like none of them yeah (laughs) I know well I was really relieved like in the so we're only like a month in (laughs) but on the first day it was like or after the first class I was just so relieved because I was like if I don't like this 
like <laughs> this is a year <laughs> yeah. of my life like that's a long time every week so it was like phew uh, they're really cool I like it <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome um so when did you think about publishing because I know you said like when you started you weren't really thinking about that um at what point were you like, huh, maybe this is something that I should really uh, think about actually trying to publish? Well, the first chapter um, was was published in Meridian as a mm-hmm. short story. And uh, so I, I kind of thought maybe I would, like it would be a collection of linked stories or I don't know, I wasn't really sure, but I was thinking more about like literary journals and then um, also it's just easy to start out really hopeful, like, oh, I'm going to write a novel and, or a book and then I'm going to publish it. But then like when it gets down to like, OK, like I need an agent mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that long road of like it's just a really long process or it was for me of like getting an agent. And then even when he sold my book, I mean, it was still like a year and a half yeah. later you know, before it was public, like it's the whole process is like so long and it can be just definitely disheartening at times. I mean, but every writer knows what rejection feels like and it never ends, you know, Mm -hmm. the rejection part, like it just is always going to be there. (laughs) Because even after it's Um, published, like I'm sure you could hear things from people where you'd be like, oh, that stung, like... (laughs) If you, oh, if you God, catch yeah. an ad review no. or something. <laughs> oh, no, it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, I didn't realize how much that would affect me. Um, and I don't I don't even know if I should be saying this, but like, um, yeah, I was it was definitely like pretty raw. Like, I didn't know that I would care. Um, so I think with my next book, I like I feel like I have a bit of tougher skin mm. now. Um, because if you publish something in a literary journal, nobody reads it, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) this just like, you know, to get like random emails, you know, just like, oh God. (laughs) People will just reach out to you to tell you they didn't like it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Horrible. (laughs) No. (laughs) It is. Yeah. That's like a new level. I just thought like maybe if you Googled and you like looked through to page five or something, you, like, <laughs> you find something lukewarm. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. That's a, that's a good day. <laughs> well, I love the book, so <laughs> it's hard for me to envision uh, someone emailing you anything other than that they loved it. But that, well, yeah, that it, sounds tough. I would I like that it it seems to have like um caused um like I feel like people have read it really emotionally or something or and I I they take that sort of as like a backhanded compliment like I'm glad that I this book like (laughs) angered you so much Mm. to um write me (laughs) yeah because I guess it's like the the opposite of love isn't hate it's apathy right (laughs) so like (laughs) like I'm actually like yeah like that may I think that would be the time to worry as a writer when Mm -hmm. people are just like meh you know it's okay (laughs) three stars (laughs) it seems like people have a hard time in particular with 
female characters that are not just like totally quote unquote likable um, or, you know, like that are that are complicated or kind of like difficult women like <laughs> in the mm-hmm. in the Roxanne Gay sense. Right, um, right. Like that are just humans and you're, you know, it, I feel like, um, I don't know, it's not something that we always uh, see represented. So I could see how mm-hmm. it, it would just be unsettling to people to see these women that are, that are like you're, you are being so um, honest and authentic and, and explicit about their pain and their trauma and the ways that they try to deal with all this stuff that are, that, and often those ways are, you know, really not helping them, <laughs> helping themselves. Um, yeah. But it's what a lot of people do. I mean, it's, I did find reading the book really painful at parts, not in a bad way, but just because I so empathized and there were pieces in each of the three main characters that I, I so related to. And it, it's painful to, to read sometimes because it's like, because you can, because I could relate to it. And so, yeah, I was curious if it was ever painful for you to write it. Um, you know, it really wasn't. I And the book I'm writing now isn't particularly painful, even though I think it has some of, um, it's, it's totally different, it's a mother-daughter story, but it's, I think, it, and equally, like, unsettling. I think that was a good way of putting it, unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, I mean, when you're in it, every day you know you it like um that that just becomes like the world that you wake up and go to every day it's like going to work and so you my I mean uh yeah like um I don't know no but it wasn't painful (laughs) but going back to your question about likable characters Mm. yeah um yeah they I've always hated that so much like that term and um uh because it's it's unfair and people do seem to hold that to female characters um you know nobody there's a lot of like male writers writing male characters who aren't likable either Mm -hmm. but nobody's like complaining about that people people love house of cards right (laughs) like and breaking bad they love breaking bad yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, you're not. People aren't like Walter White is just so, he's just so unlikable. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so, and when I'm reading fiction, I'm never. I I want interesting characters and real, and um, so I don't feel that a writer has any any pressure whatsoever to make anything likable or even pleasant for that matter. Yeah. I think that's what people often mean when they say likable is like pleasant, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> or like right. somehow heroic, like, right. you know, better than the average that's human, true. really. Yeah, something that makes them feel good when they read, which <laughs> which is fine. A lot of people do. It's kind of funny, too, because there is a part in the book where, where um, the character Ellie, who, um, for those who haven't yet read the book, um, she kind of abuses alcohol and and she has a really hard time facing any feelings basically and um there's a part uh, about how she just avoids like books and good films and art mm-hmm. because it makes her feel too much um mm-hmm. 
So maybe Ellie wouldn't like the book. I don't know. I think she would like it if she read it, but she probably wouldn't pick it up, right? (laughs) Or she probably wouldn't admit that she liked it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think I I actually kind of um, steamrolled the question I had asked about when you um, decided to publish and, and, and when you, I'm curious, like when you did make that decision, did it enter your mind? Like, oh, people might have like a really strong reaction to these characters or the fact that they are complicated and messy and that they make mistakes and they, you know, all those things. Um, not so just like as a first time, time novelist, like I wasn't thinking at all about, I was just so, happy that like somebody was going to publish it Mm -hmm. and I couldn't even hardly imagine people reading it like it was really Mm -hmm. like hard to like imagine until I like physically held it in my hands it was like it almost like that was like the last thing I was thinking about or like people's reactions which may be why they like sort of caught me off guard because you know but it really wasn't something that I thought about before yeah which probably was really freeing um in writing it to not have all of that in your head do you does that does that affect how you write now um no it it doesn't I (laughs) maybe it should no 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 forget (laughs) I said that (laughs) (laughs) but um the uh no I think that I mean if anything what I'm writing now which I'm you know just like thick into the weeds with um is the, that's the world I go to every day now. And I, it's, it is pretty dark and it's pretty, I think a lot of people are going to have some, some issues. There's, um, there's, there's a lot of just like hot, hot buttons going on. And so, um, but I just, I don't know, as a writer, you can, once you just start getting into that world, you're just like, you go with the characters and, any, I mean, well, you know, I don't, what's the point of writing if you're not going to write what you want? Did you have to do like research for Lucky You or did it mostly come from your, and, and with this new uh, piece that you're working on, um, does it mostly come from, you know, personal experience and, and stories of people you know and imagination or um, like, in the case of Lucky You, were you reading, were you reading about like eco, you know, sustainability, self-help books or? <laughs> I was, yes. Mm-hmm. I've read them all. Like No Impact Man. Um, yeah, I, I read a lot of those and I went, um, so I traveled in Arkansas to the place that like I envisioned them being, which is outside of Mountain Home. And um, like I went there a few times, drove around. And, uh, and then the rest, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it was the characters themselves are pretty close to, to me and people I know and, um, not absolutely not based on anybody, Mm -hmm. but just, um, but they have come out of my own experiences and like dealings with people. I'm really interested particularly in, um, the three main characters in like their estrangement from them themselves. Ellie kind of looks at her body as like a stranger's body and Rachel wonders, you know, who she is. And Chloe is kind of trying to remain tethered 
to reality. And again, there's something kind of that a lot of women, a lot of young women in particular struggle with in terms of being estranged from um, their bodies and just from themselves and their like needs and desires and being able to express those things. And I'm just curious if you could like talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So I think that estrangement might, in the case of these characters, um, come from like a, just like an inner kind of loneliness. And then when we pair that with being young and not, you don't know what is right. (laughs) You don't know what you're supposed to be or look like or act like. Um, then it, it's like that sort of outer body experience that like you're watching yourself the whole time. Um, I think for me, it's, it's interesting cause I, I am really drawn to, um, like the idea of isolation and loneliness. And I didn't think about this till like much, much late, like after the book was published. And, and then it's interesting to think about with what I'm writing now, but um, so I grew up the youngest of, um, three, uh, three daughters. My sisters are seven years older. They're twins. And so honestly, I think being the sister of much older twins, they were extremely close to each other. And, um, they were just sort of like the stars of the family, you know, and like I idolized them and was always like watching them, um, I don't know if that, like, I feel like that um, kind of uh, always just, I uh, sort of instilled, like, I don't know, this interest in, like, mm. how how people can are isolated in different ways, like, geographically, within their own families, um, within, like, thinking about their bodies. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting because it makes me think about in the book, like Chloe is often kind of looking in on the friendship between Ellie and Rachel and she's not really a part of it. And it's really sad to like you can feel that that loneliness and that sadness of just not being in on the joke, like literally and figuratively. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and it's so funny that I, I think subconsciously, like I must have been thinking about my sisters, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, what are they laughing about? Yeah. And like, <laughs> why is everyone so interested? <laughs> yeah. I loved, like, I loved the parts of the book where Chloe is just, it's so interesting because she is literally struggling with like remaining associated with reality (laughs) but Mm -hmm. like she's just she's so on the nose about like just being able to observe like oh wow ellie's doing that thing again where she just wants attention why is she pretending she doesn't know that or like she she can just look at the characters and make these observations to herself that seem like she really sees what's going on like she kind of cuts through it she's almost less delusional than the other two in some ways except for the fact that she's struggling with mental illness (laughs) yeah Um, and yeah I just find that really interesting that kind of from her like outside perch she can make these um there it feels like there's like jealousy there too and things like that but also like she does really see like what makes them tick and um 
she sees things from the outside that they they might not expect her to I think Mm -hmm. yeah and I think that it's kind of that's kind of maddening for her because she feels like she's the only person that can see through them Mm -hmm. and that um it's it's I think it just like adds to her feeling of isolation and you know yeah and when it comes to like that loneliness um I remember in in the Rumpus interview, um, you said that you lived alone, um, like you never had a roommate until your husband, and um, you don't really like living with other people. Um, And so I'm curious, like, what your relationship is to both sides of that coin. I know, like, for myself, I crave solitude, and I'm, I'm also really fascinated by it, and then I also sometimes feel like it can drive me a little bit crazy in the way that Ellie gets like anxious mm-hmm. and panicked when she's alone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm yeah. curious what your relationship is like to that. It's, it's similar. I, so, um, I guess I was about 28 and um, I'm 32 now. Um, when I was living in my last apartment before I met Rob, my husband, and I was starting to feel crazy. Like I, um, was, I think I, it was it was like getting to me finally. I feel like I was at a real crossroads. Like either I don't know. Like my life could have gone in two very different directions, mm-hmm. and then like falling in love just changed everything. Honestly, and um, and I still like my natural state is still to be alone. Like it really is, and I really need like lots and lots of um solitude and not just with writing but I mean but just with writing I I like to be totally alone in the house like I don't even like anyone else like anywhere near me (laughs) (laughs) um and it's hard when you live with your partner you know because it's like can you leave but this is your house too so I don't know (laughs) um and then just like I still like go on writing residencies which I love so much because um, as as much as I like I love being married and I I love my husband but like I I love having just like consecutive days and nights alone um and sometimes like people friends that I know who still live by themselves and like I go to their apartments and I feel this like tinge of like it's like a very powerful nostalgia slash like not jealousy that just like I I just look at their spaces that's all their own and like I don't know it's like I can just it's it's suddenly I'm back you know um so I don't know I don't know what the answer is maybe a bigger house (laughs) maybe maybe two houses (laughs) I I I totally understand that because I grew up in a small house with I have four siblings and, um, like sharing a room most of my life, sharing a room in college and I'm 27 and just moved into my first apartment a couple months ago. And yeah, I, I love my boyfriend. He's wonderful. Um, but sometimes I'm like, I I don't live with him. I live with a a friend from college. And sometimes I'm like, if he and I were just sharing this space and like sharing a bedroom, like where would I where would I go when I want to be <laughs> alone? <laughs> like it's so small. Yeah, I um, know. 
So I get um, that. But and also, yeah, I'm actually about to move into a studio, so that will help. <laughs> but um, I mean, uh, like a writing studio, yeah, yeah. not not yeah, <laughs> not getting divorced. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, but another like unexpected thing about I found with um, living with your partner is that um, like. I would have to spend a lot of time like hanging out with people, you know, Mm -hmm. like you have to like do like, I feel like I actually get so much more done because there's no pressure to like, like go places. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't know, like, and, and you like, I think of all the emotional energy I used to spend on like dating, Yeah. you know, and like thinking about like love and stuff. And it's kind of nice. Like, I feel like my mind has just a lot more room because I'm not, like, worried about, yeah. you know, like, um, love stuff. <laughs> it's so funny because the most recent episode um, of the podcast, I interviewed Ona Gritz, who is a poet and essayist and memoirist. And she was saying, like, she loves solitude. And she was like, you know, it's really helpful that now I'm in a really good, loving relationship. So, like... I'm a, I can be alone a lot more because yeah. like I have him, which is great. And then he pulls me out into the world sometimes and yeah. then I can go back into my solitude because I have that, you know, she has like that, that stable base. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that, that stable base just like turned out to be like, I suddenly like got what people were saying. Like yeah. <laughs> it is just, it is really nice. You know, <laughs> it takes like a truly loving person, I feel like, or it, it's taken that for me to understand, like, oh, okay. <laughs> like when someone's really yeah. kind right. <laughs> and really yeah. loves you a lot, then you're like, oh, I, I get it now. <laughs> yeah, I get, I get these relationships. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious because I always felt like as someone who also really values um, alone time and who is really drained by like that kind of socializing and like that, that sort of energy you have to expend. Like you were talking about, mm-hmm. I found college like really difficult in socially because like, I, I just remember freshman year living in the dorms. And so like I had a roommate, but not only that, we were encouraged to like leave our doors open um, so that we would have a oh. greater community with um, the people on our floor. And we had to go to floor meetings and, you know, like I'm, I struggled in college because I just found it. Um, I was like, can I ever just be alone? Like I literally climbed a tree once because I was just like, I can't, there's literally nowhere for me to go to get away from everyone. Um, Yeah. So I'm curious what it was like for you in college, like dealing with that. It's such like an unnatural way of living. Um, I mean, uh, it was, and I had the same experience, like in the dorm, um, you know, we were also encouraged to open our door, leave our doors open and there, yeah, there, there is nowhere to go. And I think it was especially depressing for me because the town itself also, there was nowhere to go in the town it was or similar. the campus. Yeah, like, me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, um, so I, I was dating someone who didn't go to the school and I, basic yeah so that helped but I I wasn't I wasn't happy those are not not good years now for me either I I definitely struggled in the same way but at the same time that's when I also like like 
learned that I love writing. So I like, I remember feeling like just very like, um, like excited in my heart a lot, like all the time, you know, about, um, what I could do when I left this place. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting because something that came to my mind a lot, I mean, just from the title itself, it, it got me thinking about how often people will say when you're in high school or college or your twenties, like this is the time of your life, you know? And like, there's all this expectation that you should be like really happy and having fun all the time and everything should be good because you're young. And I really love that this book just like, like is very honest about the dark kind of underbelly of like, I mean, there are all these studies that show that people are way happier in their 50s generally than they are in their 20s, you know, but like no one acts like that. Everyone, you know, is like expecting you to be and almost like guilting you being like, why aren't you happy? You know, right? Um, and I just really appreciated how you were able to um, to represent that and uh, and to tackle some really tough stuff that particularly like around um, alcohol and things with and like sexual relationships and consent and how like confusing all of that can be, especially when you put it all together. Um, Mm -hmm. That was something that really hit me hard. And I feel like it's something that in the culture is often kind of reduced to like, everything's great. Everything's fun like just be empowered and do whatever you want and yeah there's like another part of it that I feel like gets kind of lost a lot which is like it's not that simple no I mean it's like a daily grind of like um you know decisions and you don't have the mind that you have when you're in your 50s and so I think it's easy for people in their 50s to look at like people a they have like youth beauty do whatever you want you know yeah like just be empowered just be confident just go for it (laughs) it's really like um it's it's like the just the daily grind of life is hard and I've always liked books that um are are just sort of about like the the daily life um of characters like um like what you might call it, like a kitchen sink kind of writer mm. or kitchen. What is this phrase? I don't even know what that's right. Kitchen I like table. that. Makes <laughs> <laughs> me think of doing dishes, which is a yeah. huge part of life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I love my current favorite writer is Otessa Moshbeck and she does some of this extremely well. Um, she just, I don't know if, if you've read it, but the, her new novel, um, My Year of Rest and Relaxation, hmm. um, I really, really love for it. It, it, it um, tackles the darkness of being young and depressed and mental illness and drinking and abusing pills. And, um, but, and it's also just about, you know, how you just about your daily life yeah yeah and it's like even sometimes freedom like in that sense of you can do whatever you want can drive you crazy like 
I think there's something that humans really crave in structure and boundaries because Mm -hmm. um, even like with writing, it's like looking at a blank page versus maybe having a prompt or something or having something to edit. It's like sometimes people are paralyzed by, um, by too much license to do whatever. And then you can, there's like, I love the phrase that you use in the book. I think both Ellie and Rachel kind of say this at different times, like that they're swinging between ecstasy and despair, like ecstasy mm-hmm. followed by despair. And that I was like, yeah, that, that sounds like 22 to me. Like that sounds yeah. like my 22nd, yeah, 23rd <laughs> years. Um, it's really painful. It's not like fun. <laughs> yeah. And in reading too, I feel like people look for that kind of structure in the boundaries. Like mm-hmm. a lot of readers would prefer like a, an identifiable problem. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, okay, this is the problem. Like there's a war. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so when you read more understated books, it's like, um, almost sometimes like a lot of the point of the books I, I like are just like, trying to figure out what the problem what the conflict even is um and that in itself can be you know really interesting to me yeah something i i love about your book is that there's never like this big reveal like ellie is drinking too much because this thing happened Which... you know like it's not like you're waiting for some sort of oh this is why this is all happening like we get some hints about um certainly like obviously there are things that happen in people's past that that influence their behavior but it's never this moment of like ah it all makes sense now that's why she's doing this thing and like it's very simple (laughs) right and once she can just get over this then she will live happily ever after (laughs) yeah it's yeah yeah um I really appreciated that about the book because sometimes you can almost feel guilty when you're just especially if you're struggling with mental health and there's no like reason Right. Yeah, you can just explain to people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To- I mean, that guilt is like <laughs> so powerful. Yeah. Actually, it's like a circle. Yeah. I remember writing a short story in college for a fiction class about a character that was very similar to myself <laughs> and struggling <laughs> with uh, like anxiety and panic attacks. And um, I remember in the critique, like this one girl was like, why can't she just like get over it? You know, like, I don't really get what, like, she's pretty annoying. Like, she doesn't have a reason yeah. for, you know. And I was yeah. like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's... <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you do you write fiction still? I have dabbled a little bit. I, I've, I write more poetry now. Um, I, I started writing some fiction recently, and I just kind of seized up with it I was like I don't know how to do this anymore (laughs) I don't know Um, I feel like I have to read more fiction again Mm -hmm. yeah I can imagine um not um basically I fall asleep every night like reading a novel yeah I think I got into this almost uh I I got into this mindset of like everything I do has to be like I have to be able to see it as inherently valuable in some like measurable way so like if I'm gonna read it has to be somehow improving 
mm-hmm. me. <laughs> so like, I'm going to read, you know, I'm going to learn about this subject or I'm going to like, yeah, or whatever. Um, and like recently I've been like, I need to just read novels again, just because I want to read novels. Like <laughs> I don't have well, yeah. to always be like, pr- produ- like being productive in some way or whatever. And cause you're still learning. I found that, um, I mean, I have that feeling too. I feel like podcasts have like really helped me, um, like overcome like that feeling like I should, re- I should be learning about like what like, all these new, I need to like learn about, you know, Paul Manafort. <laughs> and so, um, with podcast now I'm like always listening to some, but also novels like mm-hmm. on novel, but um, I listen to like a lot of like news and nonfiction when I'm like doing the dishes and doing laundry and mm-hmm. like, or driving or walking, you know, um, there was a time that like, just, that wasn't what you did, yeah. <laughs> you know? I think something that made me seize up with, um, trying to write fiction was like when I tried to, trying to write dialogue between young women felt really hard to me. Like, um, writing something that sounded genuine and didn't, um, and didn't either like dumb them down or sound like I'm trying to write like sex in the city dialogue or, um, I don't know. I, I, I was like, oh, this is actually really hard to put on paper. I can hear it in my head, but it's hard to put on paper the, like the actual cadences of, of speech and, um, just some of the phrasing we use and things like that, like on paper, it's hard to put down. So that, I don't know if, um, that makes too much sense, but it was something I really well, admire you. about this book because I was like, oh, I got it. I'm, I'm glad I'm reading Lucky You again because I want to like study the dialogue a little bit more this time and like how she did that. <laughs> Thank you. It, yeah, it's, it's hard. And also I think it's hard when, when you have young characters as opposed to adults who like um, usually like there's some problem or obstacle that like they're having anyway. But if you're dealing with, like, idle people and mm-hmm. there's not, like, a central thing <laughs> that, mm-hmm. like, is happening um, and people are just, like, talking randomly out of the blue, it's, um, like, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it, was, it wasn't easy to mm-hmm. do that. And I thought, so I'm writing, and what I'm writing now, it begins, it spans, um, like, 20 years. So in the beginning, um, the main character is 12, and I find it really hard to write her dialogue. Mm. Like, I find it hard to, like, remember what, like, like, what can a child say that is necessary to the book, like, necessary to the plot, and but also um, not be, like, cringeworthy to read it (laughs) like it's true or too too childish yeah yeah but like it still has to like just from a you know um craft standpoint it's like the dialogue has to always still be doing something and so it's it's you know I'm I'm struggling with that currently Mm. it's so it's funny because I really like Jane Austen and I don't know if you're a Jane Austen fan or not and it might sound kind of funny but I actually, after this second reading of the book, I was like, there's something kind of Jane Austen about, um, like, the dialogue and also your way of pointing out people's hypocrisy and ridiculousness, especially, like, 
ridiculousness of kind of pompous and like condescending men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. That might be the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like Jane Austen? It's fine if you don't. I won't be offended. <laughs> um, I I don't. I yes I do I mean who doesn't yeah (laughs) and I think it's amazing what she pulls off because like her novels shouldn't work like nobody (laughs) writes her it's amazing to me like what she's able to accomplish um I also Edith Wharton comes Mm, to mind mm -hmm. and in that like with the pompous men and <laughs> yeah like the way that you're able to write a character like Autry and it just remind like this time when I was reading it I was like okay obviously this is a lot more gritty than Jane Austen but like there's this very wry kind of sharp um intellect behind the dialogue and behind especially like the way that these men talk and the way that the women are kind of um humoring them sometimes and like right or rolling their eyes or <laughs> whatever yeah um, yeah but yeah I hope it's like yeah it's kind of like they're winking to each other mm-hmm. like off the page <laughs> like can you believe this guy <laughs> and that actually um thinking about thinking about that character um because Autry he kind of seems like the nightmare millennial like when people when people talk yeah. about millennials in a certain way, like they're kind of describing someone like him, like he, he's totally in, entitled, yeah. he's privileged, he's ignorant, but he thinks he's brilliant, you know, and he's yeah. so obsessed with this idea of writing a book that might get made into a film about their experience before he's even had it. And he yeah. doesn't even ever write anything down. Um, I'm curious about like, in what way you might see the characters as um, as much as they are very timeless and like their struggles are really timeless in a lot of ways, like they're just human struggles. What ways do you see them as being like um, being products of their particular time and culture? Well, I do think that um, uh, that time, like around 2008 with the financial crisis and um, the recession and like, I I do think that that's shaped and that's when they're getting out of school and supposed to like being be adults um, that that shaped their kind of hopelessness mm-hmm. and they I feel like they're dealing with that hopelessness like in different ways um, and um, but they are yeah I mean like I think Autry's the kind of person that would that give millennials a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> I related a lot to like when Rachel's going through her bills and there are her student loan bills and, you know, yeah. having trouble finding jobs and they're like, oh, our English degrees are worthless and <laughs> that stuff I, I definitely related to. And um, yeah, still really <laughs> still do very much. I just moved out a couple of months ago. <laughs> um, uh, but but there is also like I was thinking about um how the characters are they are very book smart and like they know how to use all the right language to to try to like convince people of things or justify things that they're doing um but they don't actually have all that much common sense all the time (laughs) or like they don't always have the practical knowledge or skills that they 
um, would really need to pull off like the project mm-hmm. that they're trying to pull off. Right. And right. <laughs> I love how you juxtapose them to the character of Ran, who is um, he's a country boy and he's kind of like goofy and stuff. But it turns out like he knows how to do all these things that they don't know how to do. He knows how to cook right. and fish and fix cars and all this stuff. And takes it for granted. Like he's just yeah. like, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it did feel like, oh, yeah, like. I'm picturing them as like they're these suburban kids who like have gone to good schools and all this stuff, but maybe have grown up kind of sheltered. Yeah. Well, I think it's so um, when you're young, you know, and if, if and and if you have the like luxury of, of you went to good schools and you, um, you know, you, um, uh, you have the luxury of sort of posturing (laughs) like you can try on different personalities and like as you're figuring out who you are and then but I think it's interesting like how little it takes to like blow your cover like blow it away you know and like Mm -hmm. I think that's what ran you know it was as simple as you know like he he uh like everything is that <laughs> they're they're I mean, I feel like he makes them look stupid and um you know, how little like he had to do to make them uh to to make their flaws obvious to themselves. Um and I yeah. And I, I think um because they they are really lost and so what they have is they're just like trying on like different hats, you know, of who to be and like what will work and like what will, like what can someone easily blow away? Yeah. And I'm thinking about like with them being so lost and just having these really like existential questions and crises kind of, um, do you ever struggle with writing characters that like, I, I feel like now in the culture, um, in a lot of good ways, we're like recognizing privilege and calling out, you know, privilege and things like that. Um, and there's a lot of like, I, I feel like I struggle sometimes with like, there is all, there is also just human suffering that comes from just being a human, like no matter what your circumstances. Um, right. Do you ever like struggle with writing that? I don't know. Does that question make sense? Yeah. No, it's, um, yeah. Well, it goes back to the, you know, what we were talking about before. Like, you have everything. Why aren't you happy? Right. And so um, it's, but I feel like that's always, that that has always been around, like, forever Mm. since people have, like, been writing fiction. They've Mm. had to deal with that. Like, you can look at an Edith Wharton novel and, you know, I'm sure people said the same thing, like, or a John Cheever story, you know, like, why should I care about these? Mm. Um, but, but we're not looking at their, like, we're looking at them as human beings, um, with their own inner, everyone has their inner demons and are like struggling with things that we can't even imagine that are in their minds. And so, um, it, but it, I mean, it does like I, I do. Yeah, it is something I, I think about. And, but I'm always going to be, I think, a writer that is concerned with the inner lives of care or people's inner lives. Um, like I 
I, I'm never going to um, write like a historical, like I can't, I, this is like what I do and what I can do. And so um, I'm probably always going to just write about the inner lives of people around me. And I live in Virginia in the suburbs. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, you do it really well. And I think that is kind of, as I'm thinking about my own question, I, I think because you do it so well and, and you're not like sugarcoating it and you're not, you're not saying, you're not, um, you're being really honest about their limitations and their flaws and their failings and the consequences of the things that they do. Um, so it's not all just like, oh, poor, poor them, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you are showing like a really full picture of it. So, well, yeah, humor helps to like relieve like um, or the fact that they like even they are concerned that about taking themselves too seriously mm-hmm. and the, will like undercut themselves on purpose. Um, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's like. I guess this book is such a good example of trying to deny that they feel these things is what causes so much more pain and suffering because they they just won't sit with it for a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's actually trying to deny that they feel those things that um, just uh, kind of exacerbates it more and more. Yeah. I mean, like they're always chasing it and then the more they chase it the more it like disappears yeah and there is something so particular about like I don't know that age of like 20 at least for me it was right around the age that I also just felt this like I just feel so insatiably lonely and insatiably yeah kind of empty and insatiably you know hungry for I don't know what right like everything feels extreme mm-hmm and like every, um, yeah, like every emotion is exacerbated and like every, um, like meeting or everything you do feels, you give it like such weight, you know, that, um, that is not healthy. Yeah. It's amazing how with just like a couple more years you have like, or at least I've found like I have a little more patience and a little more like, okay, well, if that doesn't go well, there, there will probably be a next time, you know, <laughs> like, um, yeah, just a little oh, yeah, bit I, more. I've totally grown up. I'm totally, <laughs> 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 totally different. <laughs> well, actually it was funny cause when, well, I was, you know, um, cause I've been listening to your podcast and I love it. And I always like when you invited me and I saw the, um, like, the tagline is like conversations about growing up getting wise and living the good life is that it I was like oh no (laughs) No, this isn't me at all (laughs) what's what's so funny is I I've actually been kind of struggling to find the right way of like expressing what I'm trying to express and and I think I hesitated inviting you I hesitated to invite you for a while because I was like um, I think her characters would make fun of my podcast and like, <laughs> I think I could see her satirizing it like really well. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know. Um, because 
because I do have interest in these things. Like I, I have a lot of interest in like spirituality and, you know, and health and wellness, but I also am like a deeply skeptical person and, and a deeply, like all the things that I talk about, I struggle with like terribly, you know? Um, so but I, but I still just find value in like, okay, but there's value in like thinking about these things and, and, and learning and like trying to learn from other people and just, um, you know just growing into whatever yeah. we can but but I I really I really did hesitate to invite you because I was like she would satirize this so well like I feel like I I could just see Autry being like have you heard this podcast it's about growing up getting wise and trying to live a good life I think we should listen to it every night so we can learn and evolve so <laughs> no I like well and the people that your guests are all like so accomplished and like they're such good people but like my <laughs> my my hesitation was like more like um like oh god I hope she doesn't think that I'm wise <laughs> 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 or, or you know, <laughs> I yeah it was like no, I, I I mean <laughs> I, when I thought of the podcast, I was like, I would love to invite Erica Carter, but she's too cool. Like, I'm, you know, I'm too, like, this podcast is going to be too earnest. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I actually, I, it's interesting. Like, I, I, I find it difficult to walk the line between, like, skepticism and, like, I have a natural tendency to, towards, like, skepticism and, and a little bit of cynicism, but also, like, earnestness and sensitivity, um, which is kind of funny because there's there's like this really tender part of the book where Ellie, or at least I read it as tender, where she's like looking at Ran and she suddenly feels like, like he, oh, he's such a good guy. And, and she like feels like really sad. And I think there's just a line that's like, sometimes she just loved everybody and everything so much. Is that? Yeah. Am I yeah. remembering that right? Okay. I read that yeah. as earnest yeah, <laughs> and tender. Yeah. And I was like. I really like that sensitivity and that actually like just loving um, really feeling love and feeling pain when you look at even like beautiful things in the world. Um, I just feel such a like kinship with her um, and having that little like earnest moment with her. Um, I just really loved that in the book. Thank you. Um, yeah. Well, like I, I cry very easily. Do you? Uh, pre- pretty easily, not as easily as like e- people would probably think, but pretty easily. <laughs> <laughs> because I, cause I, you know, I feel like I, uh, that is a, um, a like sign of, earn- like I cry earnestly <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, I'm glad that you, that, that, that you brought up that line because um, I, I do think that like uh, captures a lot of of, of her mm-hmm. and like why she's uh, or and just like the um, up and down of, of her emotions about the world and how often just being being cynical is just as self protection you know yeah. um, because everything is so beautiful and everyone is so wonderful yeah. <laughs> so it's it's just you know, it's like easier 
for her to like block it out or make fun of them mm-hmm. or but when she actually like really admires um like the like earnest beauty of others i remember hearing someone it might have been glennon doyle melton or glennon i don't know what her last name is now glennon doyle wombach do you follow her at all <laughs> no i don't oh, okay. know her. she's um she started out with a blog um and she's become kind of like an activist but um she was bulimic for like 15 years or something and um and then also became alcoholic and she just has said like addicts are they don't start out as liars they start out as people like really sensitive people who are trying to find a way to tell the truth in a world that doesn't want to hear it (laughs) um exactly totally yeah and i should check her out yeah and she has a good uh, a ted talk called like lessons from the mental hospital or something that was kind of one of the first things that kind of put her on the map i think but that TEDx talk is interesting. And um, yeah, I just read Ellie is like this really sensitive person who doesn't know what to do with that sensitivity at all. Um, and is just so afraid of it. And mm-hmm. I, I definitely, you know, I can see pieces of myself in that too. And, but I, I think like, I love your sharpness and, and like, that that's it's fair to be skeptical of someone like Autry like a lot of the characters like I think it's just so hard to hold both at the same time like yes and like yes there are plenty of things to be skeptical of to be wary of and there's plenty of reasons to be cynical but also there's lots of beauty and lots of things to appreciate and enjoy and like try for Mm mm-hmm yeah, and that, like, tension between those things can, like, drive someone mad. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to balance it. Yeah. I really appreciate I, just how well you read my book, and thank you for being such a like, ideal reader. <laughs> oh, I just loved it. I mean, I, it was so easy to read because you did it so well. <laughs> um, it really touched my heart <laughs> to be very earnest about it. <laughs> um, I'm curious about if you think about these characters beyond the pages of the book and um, it where like what you would hope for them or, or do, did you just kind of, do you, did you end the book and that was, that's kind of it for you like that's where they end um yeah with those characters um well I mean the process of writing the book by the time that it you end it like I lived with them for so long and thought about them constantly and I feel like I don't really need to know what happens to them like, this was my, like, little piece of time. I mean, obviously, I'm talking, like, I do see them as real people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this, that was, like, my little piece of time with them. It would be an interesting, like, exercise to, like, you know, in, like, 10 years be like, what are they do? Where are they at 40? <laughs> um, but I think, like, I, I, I feel like I have hope for them. I think that they're going to figure it out, you know? Um, but, um, they do, I mean, they are really real to me, especially when I was writing them. 
um, and the, what I'm writing now, I mean, it's just like I wake up thinking about these people that don't exist, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but like they are realer to me than a lot of other people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think I, I think they, that they ended up okay. Did you learn or discover anything through the process of writing this book? Like, do you feel like it led you to any realizations? What it really did was, I give me confidence to write the next one, mm-hmm. and like this feeling, like, okay, I did that, and I can do another one, and like this is going to be my life. Like, it really that like sort of confidence that it gave me for for having done it is like invaluable. And, um, and it's given me opportunities, you know, like I'm here talking to you and I, I'm teaching that novel writing class and like a lot of like really good things have just come from it. And, um, and you know, and it's just, it's, it's, it's been a really just interesting ride (laughs) really. And, um, I'm just like I know that this is what I'm gonna do with my life. That would been that would be hard to say if I hadn't written that or if I'd given up on it, you know, midway. Which I definitely there's always the temptation. I mean, writing a novel sucks a lot of the time. It's yeah. just like really hard. You're just like alone in a room, like in your pajamas, you know. Like, it's, it's not glamorous at all. <laughs> like, am and I a genius could... or an idiot? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, which one? <laughs> I'm really worried it's the last one. <laughs> um, and, and, and it's also just like a long time. Years yeah. go by. And well, hopefully this one is not going to take as long as Lucky You. But um, uh, I... I kind of, I learned something I think about my like mental stamina or like my, you know, ability to be like, well, even if I am an idiot, like I'm still going to do it, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that like kind of mental, um, um, tough, toughness maybe, Mm -hmm. um, which I think that you just have to have as a writer because it's just so lonely and you don't have anyone telling you like good job good job keep going you know along the way so it's a lot of like blind faith in yourself yeah it makes me think about um in one of the episodes I interviewed Dr. Keisha Moore um she's a she's a background in sociology but also in psychology and like life coaching and she talks a lot about how important it is for people to feel like they have a purpose and to be able yeah. to identify that and and just hearing totally. you talk about writing like that. And she, you know, she talks about how your your purpose isn't necessarily what you get paid to do. It's cool if it is, but like it's something that you would do. You'll find a way to, to live it out, like no matter what. Um, right. And it sounds like writing, you know, is something that you would just, I mean, I don't mean to assume. Is it something that you feel like you would do kind of no matter what? Yes, uh, yes. It, it do. It is interesting that, like, from 
out of writing a book about three people trying desperately to find purpose, mm-hmm. <laughs> I now have <laughs> solidified my own purpose. Yeah. Um, so I have the, those characters to thank for that. Yeah. I love that. That's really full circle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one more question, if you have time. Sure. Um, what's something that you're learning about or, or growing into right now? Hmm. Um, I, I, I'm really, I'm not sure. (laughs) It's a really big question. (laughs) What would you say? What would you say? Oh, hmm. I think I'm learning about how to actually put into practice things that I intellectualize a lot and talk about a lot and read about a lot and pretend that I do a lot. Like, um, like I can talk about like, oh yeah, meditation is so good for you. And right. I've probably right. meditated a total of 30 minutes in my entire life. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, but I in my like mind, to meditate. <laughs> yeah, but all sorts, <laughs> all sorts of things really, even, even just, um, like I, I actually see a spiritual director. Um, she's a, it's, it's, technically a cat and I might cut this I don't know um (laughs) (laughs) it's it's through a um a Jesuit retreat center so like the Jesuits there's a Jesuit retreat center down the street from where I work and a woman who is not uh she's just a lay not just a lay person she's a lay person um she's a spiritual director and I literally just go and talk to her about like it was cool because I didn't know what it was going to be like. I just felt like I wanted someone to talk to you about these questions that my friends are tired of hearing, you know, <laughs> um, that yeah. people don't want to talk about all the time, like the meaning of life and stuff. And, um, and the first time I saw her, she was like, all right, tell me about yourself. Like, do you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend? And I was like, okay, cool. So she's going to be cool. Like, this isn't going to be Catholic, um, right. like right. imposing Catholic dogma. Um, right. She just really listens. And it's all about kind of, yeah, just it's interesting. And anyway, I was like asking her for book recommendations on book recommendations. And, you know, do you know of any, like, where can I read more about compassion? And like, and finally mm-hmm. she was like, I don't think you need to read more about self-compassion. I think you just need to practice it. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think you need another book recommendation. I think you just need to stop, like, you know, beating up on yourself right. and just just practice it. I think you know what it is. <laughs> right. That's such good advice. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> I see why you go to her. That's really brilliant. It's just a really yeah. interesting, um, sweet, like, really lovely uh, thing where just like once a month I go and talk to her and I can just be like, yeah, this is, uh, it's like, um, it's like, it's like therapy, but it's not therapy. Um, yeah, I, I have a therapist too, you know, <laughs> doing all of it. <laughs> I liked what, um, I think it was your cousin that you interviewed in one episode. Um, and he said something, uh, I think it was like the one before, the like two two episodes ago. Oh, maybe. yeah, my uncle Paul. Mm-hmm. Yes, sorry, your uncle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was like, if I, um, he's he's said it a lot better than I'm going to say it, but he was like, um, if I'm beating myself up about something, I think if if my kids were doing that, would I feel yeah. the same way? 
and he's like, no, of course not. I wouldn't judge the, like not nearly as much. And I was thought, like, that was just a really nice thought. And I, I have um, like a, just a bunch of nieces and nephews, and like, what I wouldn't want them to beat themselves up yeah. over being so stupid. So, and not stupid, but that yeah. really stuck with me too when he said that. I yeah. was like, oh. Um, and yeah. I have nieces and nephews too, and I, I had the same thought. And then shortly after he said that, I think like my sister or someone sent me a picture of myself when I was like three that I had never seen before. Um, and I had this yeah. feeling of like, oh, that little girl, like that's the one that yeah. I'm saying all these things to, you know? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I know. Like that little girl shouldn't have to yeah. <laughs> listen to this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah, it really hit me, like, seeing that photo at, right after I had heard him say that yeah. because it really does put it in perspective. Um, and then Ona Gritz um, from the most recent episode, she she said that her husband says sometimes, remember to read yourself sympathetically, like, if you were a character in a book. Mm. Oh, that's you know, really how, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would would you have sympathy for yourself? It sounds like some people who read maybe don't. They, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they instead email the author. <laughs> but <laughs> um, people with you know hearts and souls <laughs> have some empathy. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's really that's a really nice way. I have to think about that. That's a really nice way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because, I mean, I do try to, I try to, I think, lately, so just thinking about the original question, I think, like, being stable and, like, being a good person, or, in, in like, what that means to me, is, are, like, the two, if I had a therapist, that's what I would be talking about, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, um, yeah I don't know I'm trying you know (laughs) well I think like something your book points out is like we do all have these like dark impulses or these darker parts of ourselves and I think I know for me like having in my early 20s kind of seeing those parts come out more was like really scary and unsettling Mm -hmm. um when you're not very stable and you are making these like bad decisions and then you're kind of like, Oh, is that who I really am? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so I think, yeah, I mean, learning to be stable and learning like, okay, just because I made some mistakes or bad decisions or I hurt some people or I hurt myself in the past, that doesn't mean that like, I'm just going to, that's how it's, I'm always going to be, or that's the real me. It's just, okay. That's, that's part of the story. It's not, it's not right. all of me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I, I definitely felt that in the story of like, there's all, there's like this fear of like really seeing yourself and uh, like, it's almost scary to stop what the compulsive behavior or whatever, because then you have to actually like deal with all of it and feel the regret, the sadness or the grief or whatever you might feel about things that have happened. Um, but it's the only way to like stop the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, that when, um, uh, sometimes the guilt comes from because like, like, like the LA line, I do like 
love everyone sometimes so much and everything so much that I think wanting to be a good person that like does come from like an earnestness. And if I think maybe if I'm worried that I'm not being a good person, it's easy to like, just like to act like I'm not even trying, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Yeah, no, I, I totally relate to that. I think, um, I, I've definitely struggled with particularly like in the context of, relationships or um having like a a bad messy breakup with my my college boyfriend and just being really uh regretful about how I you know behaved or treated him or things that I did and it took me so long to be like if I don't just forgive myself and not ask him for for forgiveness anymore because that's that just is hurting the person (laughs) that you're asking Um, but just forgive myself I can stop hurting him and I can stop hurting me and I can be better to people moving forward. But the longer and the worse I beat up on myself, the more pain I was just spreading around. Like, um, it's such a catch 22, like the worse I felt about it, the worse I would treat myself and then the worse I would treat other people. Yeah. Right. You gotta like break the cycle somewhere and just start being a little gentler yeah. <laughs> on yeah. yourself. But it's so counterintuitive when you're feeling bad about things to be gentle on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why I'm so close to my cat. <laughs> Before we hang up, um, where can people find you and your work? Well, my, I guess my website, mm-hmm. um, com. I mean, .net. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> ericacarter.net. <laughs> I'll put the link on the show notes page okay. so okay. Yeah. they can't go astray. <laughs> well, thank you so much for... Thank you. I really enjoyed it. It was great talking to you. And like, thank you again for inviting me. Yeah. No, I, you were a dream guest of mine. And <laughs> it was great. Yeah. I loved reading the book. Everyone should get a copy of Lucky You and read it. And do you... Do you have a sense of when your next book might be coming out or is it too soon to say? Um, definitely too soon. I'm, mm-hmm. um, well, I'm hoping to have a draft completed by the end of the summer, but we'll see how that goes. So it's, it's a ways away. Okay. So we'll stay tuned. We'll visit yes, your website. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I could have talked to you for like hours. Um, yeah, me too. And I really appreciate it. And Hopefully I can have you on again sometime if you're I'd love interested. to. Okay. Love to. Okay. Thanks. Have a good night. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials Podcast. I'm Victoria Russell. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Share it with a friend and leave a review on iTunes, which really helps other people find the podcast. You can follow along on Instagram at Perennials Podcast and feel free to send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. That's P-E-R-E-N-N-I-A-L-S podcast. I'd love to hear from you. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit a Moon by Paul Finn. 